Y'all cannot hear me, right? All right, I think people like John are just ignoring me. But uh, Oh, John, how you doing? I didn't know you stood over there. All right, it is good to see you this morning. Uh, I think we're, uh, it looks like that every week uh, we change places. Uh, last week, this side was full. That side wasn't. This side, this week, they got over here. So evidently either... This is the good side, or that's the bad side, or whatever. But uh, anyway, we're glad you're here uh, today. Uh, we had the same amount uh, in Bible study this morning as we did last week. So, how many did we have last week? Brother Robert is the only one I heard the right answer from. We had 80. So, uh, it may not have been the same folks, but... Uh, but anyway, we still have that. So anyway, we're, get, we're going up. We stayed in the 60s for a while, and then we jumped past the 70s and, and got to 80. But thank you so much for being here. Uh, we want you to come and uh, be faithful. Uh, if you feel like it, come on. We have a Bible study for you on, the, on Sunday mornings. Uh, and y'all, just to let you know, you know, I know we've been off for a while, uh, there are some things I know people are looking forward to. We're looking forward to uh, October. We have a big fall festival. We, you know, we have, there is a Thanksgiving coming. There is a Christmas coming, I guess, uh, unless Jesus comes back again. But uh, we are talking about trying to phase back in uh, all of our programs. You know, it's just one of those waiting to see things. I think now we're waiting until the 28th to see if we get out of this phase, and uh, school has started back, and we're going to see what uh, that causes or don't cause, but uh, we appreciate uh, you as a church being faithful to wear masks and social distance and do the things that we need to do. Also, let me just say that in the back, I know that there's a lot of home lives and, and uh, stuff in the back I put out. Uh, if you want some of these, it's got some good reading in it. Uh, here's one, it says, uh, it's got a little thing, says, uh, why are kids leaving the faith? Well, that's a good little thing. Uh, here's the thing, says, I can do everything, but I, I cannot do everything, but I can do something. And uh, I know we've been sitting still for a long time, and I'm not a sitting still person for sure, and uh, it, we're just sort of eager to get out and do something. Uh, now, here's a good one that I really... Uh, I didn't read this, but I am. Making more of meals. I don't need to make more meals. Uh, my mother-in-law wants three meals a day. I'm trying to figure out how to do two meals a day, but I hadn't figured that out yet. But uh, cook together, eat together, and laugh together. So I know during this time we've learned a lot of stuff. And uh, one of them is to be patient. Uh, but God never changes. You know, through it all, we wonder if God's still working. And He is. He is still there for us. Uh, I know God, I thank God every day that He has protected me and my family and, and so many other people. But, uh, but God is good. He's still in control. And uh, we still need to worship Him as much as we possibly can and thank Him for all He's doing. And appreciate you being here today. Brother Roger. Well, I've been asked about choir and uh, our stock answer is, I don't know. <laughs> uh, I know... Christmas is coming, and um, I, I, this is the first time in 
over 30 years that I'm not working on a Christmas cantata. So uh, we've got something, uh, we've got some plans, just have to see where we're at. And, uh, but hopefully soon we'll be back together singing and uh, praising. But at this time, we as a church can sing. Let's sing about victory. Stand with me and sing. I heard an old, old story how a Savior came from glory, how he gave his life on Calvary to save a wretch like me. I heard about his groaning, of his precious blood's atoning, and I repented of my sin and won the victory. Oh, victory! It's good to welcome you here today. It's a beautiful day outside. There's no better place to be than right here with God's people, worshiping our magnificent Lord. If you're a first-time guest in our service, thank you for coming. If you take the order of service and tear the little tab off where it says, Welcome to First Baptist Church, and fill that out. When you exit the service today, put it in the offering plate that's back there on the, on the back of the table there. There are offering plates there. You can put your tithes and offerings there as you go, as you exit the service today. We appreciate you being faithful in your giving. And also, there's some uh, hand sanitizer back there if you need to sanitize after being in here with us. I don't know. Maybe you feel like you do. <laughs> but anyway, that's back there. So uh, we welcome you here today. Uh, the flowers we have down here are here in memory of Ken Lee's uh, mother, uh, Emily Ann Lee, who passed away uh, this last week. So keep remembering Ken and his family in prayer. But it's good to welcome you here today. We're glad you're here to glorify the Lord. So Roger, come and lead us as we continue. Nothing but the blood of Jesus. What can wash away my sins? Nothing but the blood of Jesus. What can Nothing but the blood of Jesus. 
So we won't allow our boys and girls to be dismissed now to Children's Church. You can follow those ladies out and go with them. Miss Chris and also Miss Judy. Got a good group of boys and girls here today. Glad that you're here. All right, it's altar time in our church. This is the opportunity for you to come down here and pray for different needs that we have. We certainly have a lot of needs right now. Praying for our nation. How we need prayer right now. I want to let you know on uh, August 31st, a week from tomorrow night, there's going to be an event at First Baptist Bossier focused on prayer. I don't know the exact time. I'll get that. It was up on the screens earlier. But uh, we'll let you know more information about that. How we need to be as the people of God, people of prayer during this time. So pray for that. Pray for our church as we move forward. Pray for different needs people have. Come and join me down here as we gather here to pray for this service and pray for different needs that we have. Tim Parker, our deacon, will call this week to lead us in word of prayer. Dear Heavenly Father, we thank you so much for this wonderful day. Lord, we thank you for the freedom that we have to gather here. Lord, I pray that you bless everything that goes on in this worship today. Lord, that you just speak through Brother Robert. But there's one here today that doesn't know Jesus as their Savior, that today is the day that they'll trust Him. Lord, that they'll know the peace and the joy that we have and they will join our family. I thank You so much for our nation, Lord. And I pray that You'd be with it. Lord, that somehow it turn back to You. Lord, that our revival would start, Lord. And if You have it, start here. In Jesus' name I pray.
the songs of the Lord rise among us. Let the songs of the Lord rise among us. Let the glories of the King rise among us. Let it rise. Oh, let it rise. Let the glory of the Lord rise among us. Let the glory of the Lord rise among us. Let the praises to the King rise among us. Let it rise. Let the glory of the Lord rise among us. Let the glory of the Lord rise among us. Let the praises of our King rise among us. Let it rise. Oh, let it rise.
but we know that you are in control. No matter what happens, you are in control. Father, we know that your power, your omnipotent power, will lead us through these times and give us that victory. And Father, this morning we come together as a body to sing praises to your name, not to entertain, but to praise your holy name. Focus on you. Clear our minds and our hearts to totally focus on you. The one who created us, who breathed breath in us, we say how great you are. The
Sing with me how great is our God. All will see how great, how great is our God. Oh, He's a name above all names. Oh, and worthy of all praise. And my heart will see how great is our God. Sacred refuge is your name. 
addresses our God. A sacred refuge is your name. Your kingdom is unshakable. Thank you so much, Jennifer. Awesome song, awesome worship this morning. Now take your Bible and open with me. We'll be this morning in uh, the book of Ezekiel, the Old Testament prophet Ezekiel, chapter 22, verse 23 through 31. Y'all finished up 1 Thessalonians. We get into September, I'm going to come back to 2 Thessalonians and preach through that book. But uh, this Sunday, I just really had a passage of Scripture on my mind, Ezekiel chapter 22, in the, just the current state of our nation. So I want to bring this message today. Next Sunday will be the Lord's Supper, fifth Sunday. We'll be focused on the cross next Sunday. As we observe a supper next Sunday, of course, times are different, things are different. So we'll be observing it somewhat differently to take precautions, and we'll walk you through that next week. And also, people who are not here in the service next Sunday can participate when they watch the video. Like we did for Easter Sunday, people can have crackers and juice there at the house and can walk through that the Lord's Supper observance as they watch the video uh, next Sunday. But Ezekiel chapter 22, 23 through 31, stand up and be counted. Stand up and be counted. Actually, I preached on this passage uh, several times. It's a very basic passage about our responsibility as Christian citizens. So I want to preach this passage again today. Stand up and be counted. It's a time to stand up and be counted. This last week I was reading a column by uh, Cal Thomas. Interesting column. He was quoting two of our founding fathers, John Adams and Benjamin Franklin, who had said almost the exact same thing about the Constitution right after it had been ratified. They both said, this Constitution, this government we have formed, is designed for people who are moral and religious. It's designed for people who are virtuous people who desire to live in an orderly society. It won't work for any other kind of people. If we descend into being a wicked immoral people, it won't work. And Ben Franklin especially expressed a fear that as time goes on, something could happen to America. And we could drift away from, from the morals, the things, the virtues on which this country was founded, descend as a nation into wickedness, into chaos, and wind up under a dictatorship. When chaos reigns, eventually people cry for order, and at that point, the only way to get order back is through a police state. He had a very real fear of that happening one day to America. 
That's a frightening prediction he made when you look at our country now and you see the condition that we're in. Our founding fathers weren't perfect. They certainly had their faults, their flaws, but they were brilliant men. They understood something about human nature, didn't they? Arnold Toynbee, who's a historian, did a study of some 21 different cultures and civilizations that have come and gone on the human scene. And almost without exception, they didn't fall because they were conquered from without, an enemy from without. They fell from within. They deteriorated from within. He also discovered through his studies that the average span of a nation is around 200 years. We're 244 years old as America. So we're on borrowed time, it seems like. A historian said, some people said Will Durant said this, and it's been attributed to many different historians. I don't know who said it originally, but it really is true. The only thing we learn from history is that we do not learn from history. That's true, isn't it? One of the reasons we have descended into the chaos we're in now in America is we have not learned the lessons of the past. We don't teach history anymore. Well, the prophet Ezekiel lived in a time of degenerate culture, much like ours. During such a time, God looked for people to take a stand, to build up the wall of righteousness, to stand in the gap, intercede in the nation. Ezekiel was writing about the year 597 B.C., and uh, the Babylonian captivity is coming upon his people, Israel. It's already started. It started around 605 B.C., and uh, the Babylonians came and took away some of the upper crust of society. Most likely, Daniel and his three friends were taken away at that time. Then a little later, a second group of people were taken away and exiled in Babylon. Ezekiel was most likely in that second group that was taken. So he is in Babylon when he writes this book. The actual fall of Jerusalem won't happen until 586 B.C. Then the nation will be no more. But Ezekiel stands as a mouthpiece of God, speaking to the people his word. Chapter 22, I start at verse 23. I invite you to stand with me. We stand to honor the reading of God's word as he speaks to us today. The word of the Lord came to me, saying, Son of man, say to her, You are a land that is not cleansed or rained on in the day of indignation. There is a conspiracy of her prophets in her midst, like a roaring lion tearing the prey. They have devoured lives. They have taken treasure and precious things. They have made many widows in the midst of her. Her priests have done violence to my law and have profaned my holy things. They have made no distinction between the holy and the profane. They have not taught the difference between the clean and the unclean. They hide their eyes from my Sabbaths, and I am profaned among them. Her princes within her are like wolves tearing the prey by shedding blood and destroying lives in order to get dishonest gain. Her prophets have smeared whitewash on them, seeing false visions and divining lies for them, saying, Thus says the Lord God, when the Lord has not spoken. The people of the land have practiced oppression and committed robbery, they have wronged the poor and the needy and have oppressed the sojourner without justice. I searched for a man among them who would build up the wall and stand in the gap before me for the land so that I would not destroy it, but I found no one. Thus I have poured out my indignation on them. I have consumed them with the fire of my wrath. Their way I have brought upon their heads, declares the Lord God. Let's join together in prayer. Father, as you spoke... Uh, to Ezekiel and the people back in that day speak to us today about our own nation, about our own responsibility as Christian people within that nation. Father, help us to stand up and be counted. Help us to be people who stand in the gap. We pray this in Jesus' name. Amen. You may be seated. You see in the first verses there, God sees the condition of the nation. God looks around and sees what's happening. It's like as though He lines up four different groups of people and calls them to account. 
a list of charges against them, and here's how they have fallen short before the Lord. He mentions, first of all, the prophets in verse 25 and 28. The prophets, those who are supposed to be speaking the Word of God, instead of speaking God's truth, they deceive and mislead. They deceive and mislead the people. They're supposed to be the moral conscience of the nation, hold the leaders accountable, but they're failing to do that. Instead, they just whitewash over what all the leaders are doing. Interesting story in 1 Kings chapter 22. Turn over and read that chapter sometimes. King Ahab, the king of the northern kingdom, when, when Israel was a divided kingdom, north and south, Ahab was king of the northern kingdom, Israel, one of the most wicked kings they had. He was about to go to war against Aram. He enlists the king of the southern kingdom, Jehoshaphat, to come and join him. Jehoshaphat says, well, what do your prophets say? What's going to be the outcome of the battle? And so they call in all Ahab's prophets. And they were all just a bunch of yes men that just told Ahab whatever he wanted to hear. They said, that's fine, king. Everything's great. You'll turn out great. Jehoshaphat says, isn't there a real prophet of God we could hear from? Ahab says, well, there's one more. His name's Micaiah. And I hate him. He never says anything good about me. <laughs> so they call Micaiah in. What's going to happen? How's the battle going to go? And Micaiah says, I saw a vision of the sheep of Israel scattered with no shepherd. He predicts the death of Ahab. Ahab says, you see, I told you. <laughs> he never said anything good about me. Micaiah was one man standing up telling the truth. The rest of them were a bunch of false prophets. And false prophets were all over the place back then. And so false prophets in Ezekiel's day were claiming to speak for God, but they really were just speaking their own words and their own opinions. Sad to say that a lot of that's true today. I think a lot of what is being passed off as preaching today is not really preaching God's Word. It's more like motivational speaking with a few scriptures thrown in here and there to try and make it sound biblical or good. That's not preaching. Call it something else. That, that, that's not preaching. True preaching involves many times confronting people with their sin. Abraham Lincoln, when he would uh, be on the campaign trail, he was fond of asking an audience, how many legs does a cow have? They'd say, four. Then he would ask, if you call the tail a leg, how many legs would it have then? Somebody would say, five. You say, no. It still has four legs. You can call the tail something else. That doesn't make it something else. <laughs> Just because you call something something else doesn't make it something else. We try to call sin something else nowadays. It's not something else. It's still sin. Sin's still sin no matter what you call it or different terminology you might use for it today. The time was when churches served as the moral conscience of the nation. We sort of helped guide the morals of the nation. That's not true anymore. You know, our founding fathers, they were not all evangelical Christians like you and I, but I tell you this, they believed that religion was essential to the moral life of a nation. Religion was to guide the, the conscience and the morals of the nation. We no longer do that. So, so the prophets, he talks about the prophets here. Then in verse uh, 26, he talks about the priests. Instead of upholding God's laws, they profane God's laws. They violate God's laws. They were supposed to uphold the sanctity of the things of God. But he says the priest can't even tell the difference between what's holy and not holy, what's clean and what's unclean. The priests were supposed to be the, the spiritual leaders, those who were leading the worship of the nation. Well, if the spiritual leaders don't have reverence for God, nobody else will either. So that's what was happening. That's what was happening in the nation. Now, they still had an outward form of religion, but they had lost its power. And so often today, we see an outward shell, an outward form of religion with no true substance within it. So he's talked about the prophets. He's talked about the, the priests. Then in verse 27, he's addressing really here 
the political leaders. He calls them the princes. He's really talking about to those in authority, officials, politicians of the day, if you will. They were supposed to be protecting the people, but instead they preyed upon the people. They preyed upon the people. They should have been exercising their power for the good of the nation, but instead they were just doing it uh, for themselves. You know, as long as there's been politicians around, there have been corrupt politicians, right? <laughs> That's nothing new. Self-serving politicians are not unique to our age. It's always been the case. There are those out there who are self-serving. And then in verse 29, he just simply talks about the people as a whole. He says the people of the land have practiced oppression. They've, they've committed robbery. Instead of living in justice and mercy, instead they abuse their neighbor. Now people tend to not rise above the level of their leaders, do they? They don't rise any higher than their, their leadership. So no class of people within the nation was innocent. He's hit upon all of them. The spiritual leaders, the political leaders, the, the people as a whole. They all were accountable to God. Proverbs chapter 14, verse 34 says, Righteousness exalts a nation, but sin is a reproach to any people. No people, no nation can turn its back on God like we have here in America and not suffer the consequences. It's just the way it works. We're not exempt from that. And it's so easy to point the finger at somebody else, right? Instead of looking at ourselves. But when genuine revival breaks out, genuine spiritual renewal, there comes about a deep consciousness, a deep awareness of sin. Not in somebody else, but, but in us. We, we start with us, right? We've got to start with us. So, God sees the condition of the nation. But in verses 30 and 31, God calls for the faithful to take a stand. God looks for that one person to intercede and take a stand for him. There's some great examples in the Bible of intercession, of people stepping in to intercede. Remember Abraham interceding for Sodom and Gomorrah? When God revealed to him he was going to destroy Sodom and Gomorrah, Abraham said, what if there are 50 righteous there? Will you spare it for the sake of 50? And God said, yes, I will spare it for the sake of 50. Got to think of, well, there may not be 50 there. Well, God, what about 40? Will you spare it for the sake of 40? And God said, yes, I will. It comes all the way down to 10, but there were not 10 righteous people there. But a great example of intercession. And then Moses. Moses interceded for his people. Psalm 106. I want to read you verse, uh, verse 19 down through verse 23. This is about the Old Testament wilderness experience. Psalm 106, verse 19. It says, They made a calf in Horeb, worshipped a molten image. They exchanged their glory for the image of an ox that eats grass. They forgot God, their Savior, who had done great things in Egypt, wonders in the land of Ham, awesome things by the Red Sea. Therefore he said that he would destroy them, had not Moses, his chosen one, stood in the breach before him to turn away his wrath from destroying them. Moses stepped in to intercede for the people. So God tells Ezekiel, I'm looking for a man who will step in and intercede. It's like the wall's broken down because of sin. There are gaps all over the place. I'm looking for somebody to step in and stand in the gap and intercede. Now God is a holy God. God must deal with sin, right? But also God's a merciful God. He'd rather people repent so he doesn't have to deal with their sin. You remember the book of Jonah? I mentioned this last week. He sent Jonah to the Ninevites with a message, yet 40 days and Nineveh will be overthrown. Seems totally unconditional. God's going to zap them. And Jonah probably loved that message. He couldn't stand those people anyway. <laughs> he wanted to see God zap them, but an incredible thing happened. Mass repentance took place. The people turned from their sin, and God relented concerning the calamity he was going to bring on them. God must judge sin, but he'd a whole lot rather not judge sin. He'd rather people repent so he doesn't have to deal 
with sin. So he doesn't have to do that. New Living Translation puts verse 30 this way. I look for someone who might rebuild the wall of righteousness that guards the land and stand in the gap in the wall so I wouldn't have to destroy the land. Notice he doesn't say, I'm looking for an army to stand in the gap. He's looking for one man, one person to stand in the gap. Not an army, one person. Can one person make a difference when they stand up for their faith? You might think, I'm, I'm just one person, what can I do? Can one person make a difference? Absolutely. Absolutely. Sometimes in the workplace, one person can make an incredible difference in a work environment. One person standing up for their faith. You never know who that might encourage. One person can make an incredible difference. Well, sad thing was he couldn't find anyone. In verse 30, I searched for a man who would build the wall, stand in the gap before me for the land, so I would not have to destroy it, but I found no one. So that's why judgment was coming upon the people of Judah. That's why his judgment was coming. God looks at America today, and he sees the gaps. He sees the gaps in the wall. He's looking for that person who will stand up. Looking for that person who will stand up. Only one person. The only thing necessary for evil to prevail is for godly people to do nothing. How many times have you heard that? And it certainly is true. And too often, we simply do nothing. A lot of the reason the nation is in the, the place it's in right now is because God's people have not stood up in the past. God's people have not stood up in the past. One historian wrote, there's no clear evidence of the deadness of our society that our inability to become outraged in the face of flagrant sin. As things have degenerated, we see less and less of any kind of outrage about what is happening. That's evidence that we're becoming spiritually insensitive. We're becoming spiritually insensitive. If godly people don't stand up, there's no hope at all for our nation. This last Thursday, we went to the executive board meeting for our Northwest uh, Louisiana Baptist Association. And uh, Congressman Mike Johnson was there. Uh, Mike was in town, and uh, he's done this before. If he's in town when we have our meeting, uh, if he can work it into a schedule, he comes and makes an appearance and speaks a little bit. And so, uh, I tell you what, we are so blessed to have somebody like him in Washington, aren't we? He's an incredible blessing, incredible encouragement. And he came there mainly to the meeting to just talk to us as pastors and leaders of the church, just to encourage us. He said, look, godly people have to stand up. You can make a difference. You can make a difference. That was his message to us. You know, our hope is not an economic. People watch the stock market all the time. Listen, forget the stock market. <laughs> that won't save this country. Military might won't save this country. Psalm chapter 20, verse 7 says, Some trust in chariots, some in horses, but we will trust in the name of the Lord our God. How often in the Old Testament did God's people, the Israelites, put their trust in a military alliance to save them from some situation, and it didn't work. It never works. You've got to trust in, in the Lord. You've got to trust in me, God kept saying to those people. But time and again... They would fall short. They would fall short. This election in November, come November, is the most important election in our lifetime, right? You hear that every election, don't you? <laughs> I think it really is true this time. It really is true this time, but uh, don't make any mistake. Whoever's elected is not going to save this country. Politicians are not going to save this country. Military might. The only thing that's going to save us is spiritual renewal. It's got to be led by us as God's people. So what's our response? What's our response? As we see the, the condition around us today. We can respond in one of three ways. One is despair, just to simply say, oh, ain't it awful? Talk about how bad everything is, how wicked everybody is, and, and uh, we just get so discouraged, so depressed, we just hunker down and don't even try to do anything to make a difference. We just bemoan how terrible thing is. And people, some people do that. Some people do that. We just withdraw. That's exactly what the devil wants the church to do. You know, he doesn't care if we show up here every Sunday and play church and go through the motions. He doesn't care a bit if we do that. He just doesn't want us getting out of these four walls and sharing the gospel, really trying to be the church out there in the world. That's what he doesn't want. This is not a time for us to, to, to be silent. 
But some people do just give in to despair. A second response is conformity. Some people just go along with the world. Now we see churches, we see sometimes whole denominations doing that here in America. Look at the seven churches in the book of Revelation that book is addressed to. They're individual letters to each church. In chapter 2 of Revelation, there's a, book, there's a letter addressed to the church at Thyatira. And there were some good things about them, but Jesus says to that church, you tolerate the woman Jezebel. You tolerate the woman Jezebel. False teaching, immorality, something that come into the church. They were tolerating that and simply going along with the world in a lot of ways. A big segment of Christianity has done that here in America. John Shelby Spong, a very liberal Episcopalian bishop, he denies every cardinal doctrine that you and I believe. This guy's in the ministry, hard to believe. But he wrote a book one time entitled, Why Christianity Must Change or Die. <laughs> they said, we need to quit being so dogmatic about all these beliefs. We've we got to just, uh, we got to go with, with the ways of the world today. We have to do that. We have to change ourselves in order to fit into the world today. I think he's got it exactly backwards. <laughs> the problem isn't that we need to change. The problem is that we have changed. We have begun to, to simply give in to the world. That's the problem. But a third thing to do, a third way to respond is to respond to the call here and build up the wall, stand in the gap. Be the salt of the earth, the light of the world. Salt keeps things from going sour. The light, it's easy to curse the darkness. Well, instead of doing that, hold up the light. Jesus Christ, stand in the gap where the walls are breaking down. Take a stand. That's difficult. Don't expect the world to pat you on the back when you take a stand for Jesus Christ. Look in the Bible. We see plenty of examples in the Bible. Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego, Daniel chapter 3, they took a stand. They, in fact, they were standing when everybody else was bowing to a, a pagan idol. It got them in the fiery furnace, but they came out without even the smell of smoke on them because they were faithful. They, they had to take a stand. They had to pay a price, but God brought them through it. Daniel went up in the lion's den because he refused to give in to a decree about prayer. Law was handed down. It said you can't pray to anybody except the king for the next 30 days. Well, Daniel just went right about his daily routine of praying to his God. It wasn't going to change anything he did. They got him in trouble, got him in a lion's den, but uh, guess what? He came out just fine. God saw him through that. God will be with you. Second Chronicles chapter 16, verse 9. says, The eyes of the Lord run to and fro throughout the whole earth in order to show himself strong in behalf of those whose heart is perfect toward him. When your heart's committed to him, he will show himself strong on your behalf. When you show yourself committed to him, that's what God is looking for. People's his hearts are committed to him. He will step in. He will strengthen them. So at your job, when you go to your work every day, stand in the gap. When you go to school, when you go about your everyday responsibilities, whatever else that you do, people you come in contact with, stand in the gap. Stand in the gap. Think about how Jesus uh, stood in the gap for you. We need to stand in the gap for him. Jesus took your sin... Nailed it to the cross, paid the price for it. That's how we're saved, by simple faith and trust in Jesus Christ as our Lord and Savior. And we need to stand up for Him. Well, we stand for Him. If we come to moments of commitment, moments of invitation, maybe you need to just come here at the altar and you want to pray for our nation. Man, how we need to be people of prayer. Just keep praying and praying. Pray for our nation. Pray for our church. Pray that we stay faithful in these days. As we move ahead into the future, uncertain about a lot of things, that we just step out in faith. Just step out in faith. But maybe you need to come and trust Jesus Christ as your Lord and Savior today. Maybe you never have really made that decision, made that commitment. Church doesn't save you. Church membership doesn't save you. Baptism doesn't save you. Good works don't save you. 
Only one way is through Jesus Christ. Whatever God says to you through this message today, it's been a fantastic time of worship today. And this is, this is like a place to come and get charged up to get ready to go out to the world tomorrow. What's going to happen when we exit here, we'll go out to the world, back to whatever it is we do on Monday, whether it's school, work, whatever. God can use you to make a difference. One person, one person, be that one person. We come to moments of commitment. I surrender all. It's our psalm this morning. That's what you have to do. Just surrender all. Would you come surrendering all today? Let's stand together. We pray. We offer this time of commitment. Father, we thank you so much for this opportunity to be in your house today. It's been an awesome time of worship. Father, help us now to be encouraged as we prepare to go out into the world. Father, help us to be that one person who stands up and makes a difference. During this call to commitment, Father, speak to our hearts. Our people respond as they need to. We give these moments to you. In Jesus' name, amen. Oh, to Jesus. this morning, wasn't it? Be encouraged. Be encouraged. Reach out and encourage somebody else. I remind you, uh, Wednesday night, so we're gathering here for our prayer meeting and Bible study time. We're going through the book of Isaiah. We'll be in chapter 39 tonight. We're going to keep reminding you about Wednesday night, so come be a part of that. Uh, and just share in prayer and share in Bible. We have a great time on Wednesday night, so uh, come and join us. Glad you're here today. Amen. Glad you're here today. Brother Roger? You sing and lead us and dismiss us. All right. I'm so glad.